James chapter 1, verse 19. So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. For the wrath of God, man does not produce the righteousness of God. You can't beat godliness into people. Therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted. Here for the word implanted, the King James probably more appropriately says engrafted. But I'm reading the New King James so I didn't have to read superfluity of naughtiness in verse 21. Receive the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. He forgets what he saw in the mirror. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty, the Bible, and continues in it, and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work. This one will be blessed in what he does. Tonight I'd like to teach for a little while on the topic, going deep in the word. Going deep in the word, God bless you. Now, first of all tonight, I would like to clarify that my audience is you, the church family of Atlanta West Pentecostal Church, and welcome to anyone else who is joining us Online, We're always honored uh, by those who listen and watch our services and have let me know over the last few years how much they have strengthened you. It means a lot for all of our media team to know that we're making a difference because they serve behind the scenes bringing you church online. I especially want you to know that I'm not speaking to preachers tonight, people that I want to get better at preaching are teaching the Bible. Now, I'm not a preacher's kid. I'm a saint's kid. My dad was a hard-working carpenter. He was not a preacher. However, I remember my dad sitting on the couch in the living room. Over by the end, there was a, a stand there and a lamp. And he would be reading his Bible and studying his Sunday school lesson. My dad taught me. We have several Bibles that my dad had worn out reading and underscoring the Word of God. So my audience is you, people who worked all day today, uh, very tired maybe tonight, and hoping that your pastor does not teach too long. It is an honor as a pastor to minister to scores of people who have a deep personal walk with God. So I thank you, and as always, I preach and teach to the man in the mirror more than anyone. Let me do a quick review of this past Wednesday and this past Sunday. Last Wednesday, I taught on the deep things of God from 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. I'll let you go back and review, but I wanted to emphasize a couple things. Going deep is not a matter of sticking around the church a long time because you can be here a long time and not go deep. Time is essential to growth. But growth is not automatic. It's always intentional. And you have to dig down to that foundation of rock. Spiritual experiences will not make you deep in and of themselves. They have to be followed up with digging deep by personally walking with God. Serving in ministry as much as we teach it at our church and as vital 
as it is. Serving in ministry will not make you deep. Going deep is a choice. It requires discipline to make you a disciple of Jesus Christ, a learner and a follower. On Sunday, my title was Going Deep. And I preached from Job 28 verses 1 and 12 and really the entire 28th chapter of Job. I spoke of three levels of life, the animal world, the natural human world, and the spiritual world. We know that the natural man does not receive the things of God. He cannot comprehend spiritual things just as an animal cannot understand, cannot comprehend a world of currency, coin, gold, silver, and precious stones. I gave some suggestions for going deep, being born again, having a deep prayer life of lingering in prayer. The book of Jude says, but you beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost, keep yourselves in the love of God, praying deep, fasting, and then clearing the noise of your life, going into that prayer closet Jesus spoke about, where you can shut in with God in a secret place. Ultimately, you have to dig. So tonight, my focus is on going deep in the Word of God. Now, it's important for us to understand why. In the Old Testament law, Deuteronomy, the Lord said that I led you through the wilderness. I humbled you. I allowed you to be hungry. I fed you with manna. I wanted you to know that man does not live by bread only, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. During the temptations of Jesus, Jesus quoted the Old Testament. As powerful as Jesus was, God in flesh. His strongest weapon against the temptation of Satan was the Word of God itself. In Luke chapter 4, verse 4, Jesus said, and Jesus answered him saying, It is written, that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. Luke 4, or excuse me, Matthew 4, also contains the temptations of Jesus. We learn from Deuteronomy and from the words of Jesus that food is essential to life. The law and Jesus acknowledge that you need to eat to live. Bread only, however, is not the source of sustenance in your life. You cannot live... By food alone, your life is more than your physical existence. We live by the Word of God. The Bible does for your soul what food does for your body. It strengthens you. And by soul, I mean your entire soulish and spiritual realm. Your body, soul, spirit, but your mind, your will, and your emotions... And also your spirit where the Holy Ghost takes up residence. That's what the Word of God strengthens. And obviously there are insights in the Bible about taking care of your human body that is called the temple of the Holy Ghost. Not a shack, but the temple of the Holy Ghost. When Jesus refused to turn stones to bread, He knew that it was possible with God to turn stones to bread. He also knew that miracles were regulated by the Word of God. Now, prayer is important to resisting temptation. I want you to notice what Jesus did, but I also want to incorporate the idea of prayer. 
in Matthew 26 and 40, at his hour of uh, prayer, of intercession before the cross, Jesus told his disciples, watch and pray that you enter not into temptation. Matthew 26, 41. Jesus prayed and fasted, but in the moment of temptation, he did not turn to prayer. He had already fasted 40 days, but he had turned to the objective, absolute, reliable Word of God. Jesus quoted Scripture. That Word of God gave him immediate power over the power of temptation. You see, you can pray being depressed and feel hopeless. You can pray and sometimes like the Bible said in Psalm 142, I poured out my complaint to you. Sometimes our prayers are not prayers of faith. They're actually complaining to God about how we're doing and what He's not doing. You can pray, my will be done instead of His will be done. You can pray amiss, as James taught about in James 4 and 3, or faultily to consume what you want in prayer upon your own lusts. In other words, you can pray for things that are to your good and not good to the kingdom of God or for the kingdom of God. In 1 John chapter 5, verses 14 and 15, the Bible said, and this is the confidence that we have in Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, well, this is what is important about prayer and its relationship to the Bible, that when you don't ask, you get nothing. When you ask amiss or faultily with the wrong motive, you get nothing. But the Apostle John said, if we ask anything according to His will. How do we know the will of God? We know the will of God because we know the Word of God. Verse 15. And if we know that He hear us, whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desire of Him. I want you to understand as Pentecostal people, most of us are, we believe in the power of experiences that we have with God, speaking in tongues, spiritual experiences. But our faith is not rooted in those experiences alone. And I'm not minimizing the power of the Spirit. I'm exalting the power of the Word of God working in tandem with the Spirit of God. The Word of God is the sword of the Spirit. They work together in our lives. When you rely on the Bible, it brings you back to heaven's reality and God's perfect perspective. So we need a strong relationship with Jesus Christ through His Word and in prayer at Atlanta West. We like to say this and that and hopefully on Sunday we'll have some more of that concept of this and that. Job, reflecting on the Word of God, said in Job 23, 12, Neither have I gone back from the commandment of His lips. I have esteemed or valued the words of His mouth more than my necessary food. Job placed the value of the Word of God above what would keep you alive, that food that we eat. Now, the Word of God is the perfect expression of the mind of God. And I want to emphasize this. 
Our mature believers in our church understand that everything is subordinated to the Word of God. And I'm speaking about gifts that operate in the church. They must be aligned to the Word of God. They answer to the Bible. The Apostle Peter wrote in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 16, For we have not followed cunningly devised fables, when we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of His majesty. Peter said, We saw Jesus with our own eyes. For He received from God the Father honor and glory when there came such a voice to Him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And this voice which came from heaven we heard. Simon Peter said, We saw Him and we heard a supernatural voice from heaven when we were with Him in the Holy Mount. That word came at His baptism. It came at the mountain of transfiguration. But then the Apostle Peter says this in verse 19. We have also a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto you do well that you take heed, as unto a light that shineth in a dark place, until the day dawn and the day star dawn in your hearts. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of the Scripture is of any private interpretation. We'll get into rightly dividing the word of truth a little bit later, hopefully. But the Apostle Peter said that no one gets their own private version of the Bible. Now we all work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. But that is us conforming to God's Word, not conforming God's Word to our own subjective ideas. Verse 21. For the prophecy, the Bible, came not in old time by the will of men, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. The 40 human authors of our Bible, written over a period of about 1,500 years, a unifying theme because there is a unifying author behind the writers. Almighty God is the inspiration of His Word. This Word is God-breathed. The very words and every original word written was inspired by Almighty God. Now, God speaks in various ways. He speaks to us by His Spirit through promptings of the Holy Ghost. We feel those deep inner promptings. God speaks through the gifts of the Spirit. He may give you a word of knowledge or a word of wisdom. He may speak to you through the interpretation of tongues or by prophecy. God speaks through dreams and visions as He did frequently in the Bible and they are certainly applicable or relevant today. God speaks through His Word as it is taught and preached and Because that's so important, I continually insist that preachers preach the Bible, not one verse of God's Word and 30 minutes of our words about His Word, but that we preach the Word, that we actually bring the Word of God to the table for God's people. Now, the Apostle Peter is saying, we saw Jesus in person. We heard His voice at the mountain of transfiguration. These were spiritual experiences and they were all very real real and valid. But the Apostle Peter was removed from that. 
And he said, we've got something that is a more sure word of prophecy. We have the word of God. So God speaks most clearly and perfectly through his word, the Bible, which is forever settled in heaven. It is a more sure word of prophecy. Psalm 119.89, forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. Isaiah 40, verse 8, the grass withereth, the flower fadeth, but the word of our God shall stand forever. The apostle Peter quoted from Isaiah chapter 40, verse 8, in 1 Peter 1.24, for all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man is the flower of grass. The grass withereth. The flower falleth away, thereof falleth away. But the word of the Lord endureth forever. And this is the word which by the gospel is preached to you. I love what the apostle Peter said. In another place the Bible said, The Holy Ghost preached by the word of God, by the Holy Ghost come down from heaven. But Peter says, What we're preaching to you is out of this book. It is not just some extraneous uh, Material, we're preaching the Bible. Amen. So the word of God is vital to your salvation. It will make all the difference in your life. We need to highly value the word of God. So let's talk about some uh, practical values of the word of God. Second Timothy 3. The word of God according to him. But evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse. This is talking about the end of time. Deceiving and being deceived. But continue thou, this is Paul writing to Timothy, his son in the gospel, and to all of us who would read this book. Continue in the things which thou hast learned and has been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. In other words, Timothy, you've heard the Bible from reliable sources. And that from a child, before you were a preacher, From a child thou hast known the holy scriptures which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. Let me pause on verse 15. This coming Sunday we have a baby dedication. And we'll dedicate precious babies to the Lord. But Paul did not tell Timothy that when you got old enough to make your own decisions, you started learning the Bible. The Bible said that foolishness is bound in the heart of the child and the rod of correction will drive it far from him. But from a child, Timothy's mother and grandmother, his father was not a believer, but the women in his life taught him the Bible from an early age. And Paul said that from a child, you have known the Holy Scriptures. Our parents, every parent needs to make sure that from a child, we teach our children the way that they should go, just like Proverbs 22, 6 says, so that when they are old, they will not depart from that way. And a way is not something that just happens on Sunday. It is what Deuteronomy 6 teaches, that we teach it and then we talk about it all the time. It is the culture of our lives, not just our religious beliefs. 2 Timothy three sixteen. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. From a child, you've learned the Holy Scriptures. 
talking about the practical value of the Word of God. Psalm 119, verse 105. Common to many of us. Thy Word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. In a practical way, the Word of God shines on my feet. That's where I am right now. In a practical way, the Word of God shines on the path before me. It's a lamp to my feet. It also illuminates the path that is before me. So it doesn't just shine on where you are. It shines on where you're going. Psalm 119, by the way, the longest chapter in the Bible, is all about the Word of God over and over and over. So get a cup of coffee or a glass of tea or water. When you read Psalm 119, slow down and enjoy it and ingest it because it is a powerful passage in the Bible. Amen. Psalm 119, speaking of Psalm 119, verse 9. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? How are you going to get your life right with God? By taking heed thereto according to thy word. Romans chapter 15 verse 4. For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning. That we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. You've got to get that word in your life. So let me share with you some steps to going deep in the Bible. I'm not going to take the time to delve into Hebrews chapter 5 and the beginning of chapter 6. I've referred to this perhaps last Wednesday or Sunday when the writer of Hebrews says, you're dull of hearing, you've been in the church a long time, you should be teaching others, you need somebody to teach you the first principle. So they'd been around a while, they'd never grown in God. And he, he explains the definition of a, of a baby believer and a mature believer. A baby believer needs milk, right? But the writer says that they are unskillful in the word of righteousness. They do not know the Bible at all. They may know a verse or two, but they don't know much of the Bible. Now, I'm not saying you should be able to quote the whole Bible, but according to the Bible, if you don't know your Bible, you're a baby Christian. If you've been around 50 years or five months, if you don't know your Bible, you're not a grown-up child of God. Don't be mad at me. Just go get mad at Hebrews 5. He said, but strong meat, we're talking about the Bible, belongs to them that are of full age, even those who by reason of use, they've used, have, excuse me, have their senses exercised to discern good and evil. In other words, as you get into the Bible, it begins to sharpen your conscience and your awareness of right and wrong. The Spirit prompts the Word and guides you in life. In Hebrews 6, he gives us those foundational principles of the Bible. Repentance, faith, baptisms, laying on the hands, resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. The writer says you need to start with that foundation. There are many people who don't even know those doctrines. You start with those doctrines. And we've taught them here systematically. 
but then you go on beyond that to maturity or perfection as a child of God. So I want to share some discipleship processes when we teach uh, our 201 processes at Atlanta West. We teach these things, getting a grip on your Bible. First is to hear the Bible. Now, now I want to help you be effective. These are practical things, but they're very important. So don't check out on what may seem simple because uh, the, you know, paying attention to the fundamentals is what makes a Christian great, a sports team great, a company great, right? So let's pay attention to those fundamentals all over again. So when you're in church, pay attention. It costs something to pay attention. Eliminate distractions. That constant alert, constant alerts that you get on your phone. Take notes, jot down key points that you hear. And when you're hearing God's word, believe that the Lord is speaking directly to you. There are people that I think are God dodgers. Whenever God tries to speak to them, they just duck out of the way and they deflect the word of God because they always think it's for someone else. That's why I said and I try to practice that I teach and preach to the man in the mirror. I know that I need to be a first partaker. I need to practice what I preach. I'm preaching and teaching to myself because I am a Christian. I want to go to heaven. I don't want to preach to others and then myself be a castaway. So listen to the word of God. You can listen online. You can listen to preaching on media. But listen to the Word of God. The second way is that you can read the Word of God. You can start in Genesis and read all the way to Revelation and then start back over again and read your Bible through. Read a reliable translation that you clearly understand. The King James Version is what I grew up on. I still read the King James Version and I I compare it to other translations. Sometimes I read the New King James Version uh, publicly here because of the ease of reading for some archaic words. I, I like the New Living Translation. They use the word triangulate. You compare different versions, but reliable versions. Uh, paraphrases like the message might be good for devotional reading, but it is not at all considered a reliable translation. It was largely written by one person. It didn't have that a scholarly team of people looking at it. And so you need to, to read the Bible. Now you can read a real Bible, a physical copy of the Bible. Mark it up, write in the margin. You may want to download a version of the Bible on your phone or your computer. Many people download the U version of the Bible, the U version. And it's very user-friendly and millions and millions of copies, tens of millions have been downloaded by people all over the world. And there are different translations and study helps in Bible studies. Listen while you read, or if you can only listen, then listen until there was a printing press and uh, we had printed Bibles around 1454 or 1455 AD. Most people had to listen to the Word of God. There weren't that many manuscripts of the Bible, maybe pieces of them that people had. That's why it's so impressive that the Ethiopian eunuch headed back down to his home was reading in the Bible uh, from Isaiah 53, what we would call Isaiah 53, before there were chapters and verses there. So listen, read, 
I'm talking about listening while you're reading the Bible. Not listening to preaching, but listening and reading the Bible. If reading through the entire Bible sounds a little daunting for you, then read the New Testament. I think that's what I did first. I started in Matthew and I read through. You may want to read the book of Acts, that early history of the church that, that shows the triumph of the gospel over every barrier. This past Sunday I mentioned that when I was a young man, I started reading the book of Proverbs over and over. I read it in multiple translations. I read it with a commentary. I marked verses. I tried to memorize verses in Proverbs, 31 chapters. You can read it through every month. You may want to read the book of Psalms. Not all praises. Many of them are prayers. But 150 chapters. Five a day, you can finish the book of Psalms in a month, even reading through that long Psalms, Psalm 119. But whatever you do, please don't quit. If you're inconsistent, don't quit. Begin again. Pick up where you left off. We have many people in our church that never, I mean they never, miss a day of reading the Bible. And some of them read the Bible through multiple times every year. Young and old alike, not just our elders who are retired. But let me encourage you, missing a day is better than missing a week. And missing a week is better than missing a month or never picking up, picking up your Bible while it collects dust if you're using the physical version of the Bible. My point is, if you miss a day, get back on track and read your Bible again. You know, like Job said, it's more important than food. Don't fast the Bible. Don't miss a meal. So listen and then read and then study the Bible. Keep a journal. The major difference of studying to me is slowing down, asking questions. I want to read without getting too sidetracked. I keep an Evernote on sermon ideas, things that kind of stick in my mind that I want to go back and look at later or perhaps teach and preach on. Uh, but when you study, you're digging deeper. You ask questions like, who wrote this? To whom was it written? Who was the original audience? When was it written? What's the date? And what are the circumstances surrounding the writing of this particular passage of Scripture? And then why was it written? What was the message to that original audience? And then what are the applications to my life? I want to know what it meant originally, so I'll be sure to get it right when I apply it to my own life. The Bible has one interpretation, but many applications. And these days there are many, many online tools. There are online commentaries and multiple translations of the Bible. There's Bible study tools, the Blue Letter Bible, Bibles Net, Bible Hub, Bible Gateway for personal study, I use a computer program called Accordance. It has many levels from entry levels all the way to a scholarly level of original languages. But fine study tools keep them handy. My dad owned multiple concordances, that carpenter dad. And my dad shared different things with me. And I have in my library commentaries that my dad, the non-preacher, used when he was alive and serving in ministry. Amen. 2 Timothy 2.15 We study 
as Paul said to Timothy, study to show thyself approved unto God a workman that needeth not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Study to show thyself approved unto God a workman that needeth not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. So we study for God's approval, not to be ashamed when we have to give an account to Him, and we rightly divide the word of truth. In the original, it means to cut straight. If you were a carpenter or whatever your trade was, you kind of get the imagery of a craftsman to make a straight cut, not a jagged cut. You should rightly divide the word of truth. Study with precision, diligence, get it right. We never, ever, ever stretch God's word to fit an idea that we have or to wrap it around an illustration in preaching or teaching. We start with the word of God and we bring all of our ideas in obedience to Jesus Christ and His Word. So we listen, read, study, and we memorize the Word of God. Hiding God's Word in our heart. The Bible tells us in Colossians 3.16 to let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. Let that Word get inside of you. And... For me, as I mentioned earlier, I try to memorize the King James. It's that go-to default translation that I grew up on. So when God speaks to me, I want, him to, I want to give Him something to work with. So I think of that first. Only a recommendation, but, but I think you should stay with one translation for memorization. That's my opinion. I don't teach or preach opinions, but we're talking about a study idea memorization, but a sound translation and memorize that. And you may not have that verse completely memorized forever, but it's a lot better than never putting it in your head and in your heart. Thy word have I hid in my heart. We use Bible quizzing tools like phrase 15, repetition, and memorization will sharpen your mind in every endeavor in life. The next way that we get the Word of God in our lives is to meditate on it. Meditating is thinking God's thoughts about Himself. One Bible dictionary said that meditation is a private devotional act consisting in deliberate reflection upon some spiritual truth. So we're not just pondering some random thought. We're thinking about the Word of God. We're really thinking God's thoughts about Himself. Joshua was instructed by Moses to meditate on the Word of God day and night. Continually think about that and his way would be prosperous and he would have good success. I love Psalm 1 that tells us, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, in that Bible, that he meditate day and night. As a result of that, the psalmist said, he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. So you see, meditating on the word of God guides us in life. And it's more than just an intellectual knowledge. It is a guiding force in decisions, in relationships, in values, in every way we look at the world. It is seeing life from God's point of view. Amen. 
I like the word ponder, and Mary pondered these things in her heart. Finally, about this idea of the Bible is applying the Word of God. Obeying the Bible. Isn't that a good thing? We know God's Word, and we do it. You can know to do good and not do it, and the Bible said it's a sin. The man that built his house on the rock heard and obeyed the teachings of Jesus. Amen. Which leads me to my text, and I will kind of focus on this for just a few minutes. James 1, 19. So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. For the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word of God which is able to save your souls. The word implanted or engrafted in the King James literally means to get something from the outside on the inside. The Bible is often referred to as the seed, the seed of the word of God, the principle of eternal life. But here James is saying we're going to bring something into our lives that is not already there. When I was a young man, my grandfather taught me how to graft mango trees, cut down to the cambrum layer and all of that. But what we're trying to do is cut away, we've got to get rid of that sin in our lives. That's what James said. We've got to lay aside the sin, and then we've got to take the Word of God. We have to bind it to our heart, right? It's written by the Holy Ghost on the fleshly tables of our hearts we've got to graft it in so that we produce a different kind of fruit than we produced before we were saved the principles of the word of God should get in us that's what James said I'll skip reading verse 21 again all the way to verse 22 be doers of the word not hearers only deceiving your own selves One of the scary things about being a pastor or a Christian is that I could preach to people who come to church on Sunday and as I said this past Sunday, then they give God the rest of the week off. They're hearers, but they're deceived. Verse 22, but be doers of the word, not hearers only, Deceiving your own selves. And then he goes into this story about a person, and I'll skip reading these verses, looks in the mirror, walks away, doesn't change a thing. But being a Christian, being a disciple of Jesus Christ, literally means that we see a reflection of God's perfection in His Word, and we graft it into our lives by doing it. James said you are blessed just by obeying God's Word. And the two men that built houses, the one who heard and did or obeyed God's Word, was the man that really received the engrafted Word of God. I want to share a final thought. Do you remember that Ark of the Covenant in the Old Testament? That box, that sacred symbol of the presence of God. On its top was the mercy seat where God would meet them and blood was shed there. And In the tabernacle and later in the temple, the, the cherubim overlooked that. They desired to look into mercy that was on that Ark of the Covenant. But early on, according to the book of Hebrews 9 and 4, Hebrews 9 and 4, 
which had, this is in your, which had the golden censer and the Ark of the Covenant overlaid round about with gold, wherein or inside that Ark was the golden pot that had manna and Aaron's rod that budded and the tables of the covenant. Originally, the writer of Hebrews said, it had these three things. It had the golden pot of manna that symbolized the provision of God. It had Aaron's rod that budded, symbol of the miraculous power of God. And it had the tables of the covenant that symbolized or really actually was the word of God. But later in 1 Kings chapter 8 and 9, 1 Kings 8 and 9, the Bible said when they got the ark, there was nothing in the ark save the two tables of stone which Moses put there at Horeb when the Lord made a covenant with the children of Israel. 2 Chronicles 5 and 10 tells us the same, that later on there's nothing in the ark but the word of God. Here's what I know. We believe in God's provision We believe in God's power. But the reason we believe in provision and power is because of the word. And when they took the golden pot of manna, and when they took Aaron's rod out of the ark, they left the word of God there. So I want to tell you that as long as we have the Bible, we have the source of preaching and believing for God's provision in our lives. As long as we have the Word of God, we have the source for preaching and believing the miraculous demonstration of God's power. Ultimately, it is the Word of God that generates provision and power. And I want to encourage you to go deep in God's Word. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Lord, we believe in You because we trust in the power of Your Word. And I pray that You would help us Go deeper in you in prayer and in the Spirit. But Lord, help us do that by simultaneously going deep in the Word of God. For it is the Word of God which is able to save our souls. Bless your people in Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Would you worship the Lord as this song plays and enter the presence of God in prayer as you reflect on the power of God's Word.